0: Promo Insiders, an ASI media podcast that covers the issues that matter most to the promotional products industry. I'm Chris Ruvo for ASI. Today, we're turning a spotlight on Strawn and Company and chatting with CEO Andy Shape. Strawn's stature in Promo has been rising of late. The Boston area firm cracked the top 40 list of the industry's largest distributors for the first time last year. It's gone on to grab more headlines by going public in late 2021, making key acquisitions and hiring high profile industry executives. Andy and I will be peeling the curtain back on Strawn today to talk about all that, plus getting into what the future holds for the company and the industry. Andy, thanks for being with me.
1: Great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today.
0: Awesome. So before we jump into these questions, I'll just um, remind everybody who's um, either listening to or watching this live that you can um, uh, write in with comments or questions and um, we'll we'll try to get to them. So um, Andy, first question. Um, I think it was November 2021 uh, Strawn went public officially um really interesting thing for for an industry company to have happened um why did you guys do that you know what what opportunities did you foresee and kind of what was involved with it
1: sure so we've been in business for 27 years and we we really haven't taken on any outside investors we are really looking at and we'd had seen substantial growth especially in the last 4 or 5 years but we really wanted to take it to the next level so we looked at different areas of how to do that um you know looked at going to private equity looked at getting outside investors, look at potentially selling and looked at some different mm-hmm. areas and, and landed on going public. And and one of the reasons why we, we wanted to do that is we wanted to raise capital because we could only grow so much with our own capital. So yes. we went out and we we found a bank um, in EF Hutton and started to, told them our story and said, we've been in business for 27 years, mm-hmm. been profitable since the beginning. We've seen all, you know, double digit growth uh, you know, almost 20% year-over-year growth over the last five years. You know, we've got a pretty good story. And, and this industry, it's a unique opportunity because there's not a real lot of public companies in this Yes, yeah, totally true, yeah. Especially yeah. on the uh, on, a, on a major exchange. Um, there's, there's a few, um, you know, Bamco's part of Superior, which is on NASDAQ, but after that, there really aren't any. Uh, yeah. prints another one that's public, but they're on the London. And then same thing with uh, um, Brand Edition, which is uh, part of Pebble, based mm-hmm. on the London Exchange. So there's really not a lot of publicly held companies. So we looked at that and uh, they liked our story. And when we went out and, and, and approached investors, they all really liked it. And, and that's really the genesis of it. So you know, it's really to accelerate our growth and to use that outside capital public money. To really form something unique within this industry, and that's what we're looking to do right now, and we just started. So yeah, it is it
0: is unique. It is a unique position to be in, being publicly traded, being on the Nasdaq, you know, relative to our industry. And um, you mentioned an interesting thing there that caught my attention. Um, about private equity. Now we all know private equity money has been, I think, pouring would even not be too strong a word. It's been pouring sure. into our industry lately. Um, why was that not the route that you wanted to go? Why why did that why did the, why did you ultimately decide against that and to go public?
1: So we're really looking to build something special here, long term. We're not looking for an exit. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in staying in this industry. I love this industry. I like being part of it. Okay. And I'm not. We weren't looking to come in and say, let's, uh, you know, invest and sell in three years. We're looking at trying to build something greater, but while also being able to have some control in that. Not really looking at only a quick return on on an investment. We're looking at saying we want to build something truly unique, truly special. Invest in technology. Invest in our infrastructure. Invest in our people uh, through acquisition, through organic growth, doing all of that, um, and and also doing it with ourselves. I mean, I've been in this business for 27 years. We've had we have multiple people. My uh, uh, Randy Bernie, who's our executive vice president, has been with us for 25 years. So, you know, we we've been around this industry for a long time, and we really see a tremendous opportunity within within the industry to really make a a, a good difference and and really build something truly unique and special.
0: So tell us what the process was like. Cause again, it's, it, this is a unique thing for a company in our industry to do. What was it like to go public and you know, what have been, what were some of the challenges involved with that and how did you overcome them?
1: It was fairly daunting. So the first thing we had to do was, was meet with our bankers and talk, tell them our story and they, and they liked that. And then what we had to do is, is write, what's called an S1, which really is, it was about a 200 page document that really talks about everything. From our financials to what we do, who we do it with for, and everything. And it, it's very complex and it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. So that took us about four or five months combined with auditors, lawyers, accountants, uh myself getting involved. So one of the things that the struggles with that was some of the resources and time that I took away from managing our business, as well as our CFO and, and other people, we really had to backfill with other people. To, okay. do, to do that, so that that's one of the hardest parts that we had was running our business while going public. There's also costs involved with that, but um, you know, in the at the end, like I'd mentioned, we we raised over forty million. I actually I don't know if I mentioned that, but we raised over forty million between the IPO and a secondary capital raise. So you know, that's really going to help us invest within our company and mm-hmm. really invest to for that future growth.
0: Interesting. Now, um, so I mean, we've all we all probably have investments of various kinds and we know that, um, you know, stock market has been, it's been up, it's been down since becoming a publicly traded company, you know, have, have things changed for you guys? Have you encountered new challenges with, you know, j- j- just with the vol- some of the volatility that can exist in, in, in the stock market?
1: Yeah. So there's two things that we look at is one, the, the share price of, of the company. And right now we don't feel like the share price is indicative of the of the true value of Stron. Uh, mm-hmm. you know. Right now, we have over 30 million in cash in our bank account, and our market caps about that. So, okay. you know, we're trading what we feel is below market value. But, you know, the share price is really only short term that we're looking at. Obviously, for our shareholders, we're looking to increase that value, but mm-hmm. it's through delivering value in strong as a business, mm-hmm. not on just the share price. So, it's you know for for making some announcement or doing something that doesn't have legs behind it. We're really looking at building that. So in terms of, of, um, some of the things that being public has done, it really has made us be a lot more disciplined and that's one of the benefits. It's one of the things that's a lot more work, but I really find that it's a, it's a benefit, like a benefit to us because we have to be disciplined about our financial accounting our strategy, where we're spending our money, how we're spending, because we're under the spotlight and, and all of our financials are published every quarter. Um, by May 15th, we'll have to publish our Q1 uh, mm-hmm. earnings and, and, and reports of, of what we're, we've seen. Um, but on the other hand, it really forces us to, to look at that and say, how are we going to grow? How are we going to add shareholder value? And it's really just a change in attitude of saying we raised all this capital. Not, it's not, you know, before there's a lot of people within this industry that have a great lifestyle business. That's Mm -hmm. what we had before too. Mm -hmm. Make a great, great living here. They have a great lifestyle and they say, do I want to grow? Do I want to risk my own money to grow? Do I want to, or do I want to maybe buy a new car or a vacation home? You know, like people have those those thoughts and there's nothing wrong with saying, ah, I'm pretty comfortable with where I am. I don't want to reinvest that and take the risk. We don't have that luxury anymore. Mm-hmm. We have this and we're saying we have to invest that money. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to grow? How are we going to deliver shareholder value? How are we going to make strong more valuable? And that's really what we're doing. So I think that that's been, um, you know, a lot of pressure, but it's also challenging, fun, and and really is, is why, why we did this and what we want to do.
0: Hearing you talk, it sounds like it's good pressure. You know, we talk about bad pressure. It sounds like it's good, like it's a, it's pressure that forces a certain and not that you weren't focused before, but even a greater intensity of, of, of focus on on how to really grow and how to really be strategic. And and if you navigate that right, you come out ahead in the end, because there's no way you can't get better if you're looking at it that way and kind of approaching it in, in, in that right
1: way. You, you 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 recapped it better than I could have. So that that's, that's exactly what it is. So it's pressure, but it's good pressure. And it's exciting. Like a lot of the stuff that we said for years to our employees, like, hey, we want to do this, but we can't. Like mm-hmm. we have to wait, or we now we're we're saying like we're doing that, and they're saying, "Wow, we we actually are. Wow, this is amazing. Like mm-hmm. we're actually doing these things that we've always said we'd love to do, but we couldn't take the risk or afford to do it. Now we're saying we're doing it, and we're already seeing the results and 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 the return on that investment that we're making. So um, within 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 our company. So um, so
0: so kind of dovetailing off that. Um, you've made a number of uh, notable acquisitions um, uh, of late. I, I, I remember when you you guys first went public. You you kind of came clear came out clearly and said, you know, we intend to use some of this capital capital for acquisitions, and you have put it to work for that. So, can you tell us about some of those acquisitions? You know, who you've acquired, uh, sure. why, and how they've just helped you. You know, strong build.
1: Yep. So we've done in the past, uh, just under two years, under about 18 months, we've done two acquisitions. One was before we went public. We bought a company in Warsaw, Indiana, called Wildman Imprints. Mm-hmm. It was a division of a company called Wildman Business Group, which is a uniform company. So they do like uh, uniform and laundry service, but they had a division, a promotional products division that they that they had started about 20 years ago, but it wasn't their core business. And they made a, a conscious decision, Wildman Business Group, that said, we really want to concentrate our business on the uniform. and We don't want to take those resources and use it towards promo. So we want to divest of that, but there's value in it. So we want to find someone who can maximize that value. So uh, we, we approached them and we, we uh, negotiated a, an acquisition of that an asset purchase of that group. And it was about 21 employees who we brought over, about uh, 10 million in revenue, spread out about 1,400 customers. Uh, in addition to that, uh, they had about 120 online stores that we brought over as well. So it's a lot of annuity business. And that, that really was great because first, the people that we brought over were, are fantastic. We opened a new office in Warsaw, Indiana. We brought over all their employees, all 21 employees. Um, the majority of them are still with us uh, still uh, almost two years later. Um, And it really allowed us to expand our footprint within the Midwest, as well as look at some of uh, of a different way that they're doing some business and make improvements to that, as well as adopt some of their best practices. So, um, you know, that is part of our acquisition strategies. We're not coming in and saying, uh, you know, oh, we're going to come in and cut heads and increase profits and get rid of everyone. We're saying we want to go in and identify people what their strengths are and really give them more support. And give them more resources to go and take that 10 million dollars worth of business that we acquired and really turn it into say 15 or 20 million over time so you know that's really our, our um, structure that we're doing that's really what we're looking to do with the acquisitions is not just come in and say i have a bunch of disparate companies that we're trying to cut costs and buying revenue we're really trying to make a difference and integrate them so that was the first one i think we've done a really good job of integrating the culture making them feel part of stran um, it was a lot more difficult than we had wanted because it was during COVID. Um, oh
0: boy. Yeah. That's a, so, talk about a variable.
1: Yeah. So that was very hard. Like we wanted, we wanted to have them out, all their employees out here to meet our people and go out there. We had an open house schedule that got canceled because of COVID. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit more difficult for that in-person communication, but I think we did a really good job virtually and, now we, we started doing a lot more of that travel between right now and really integrated that. So that was our first acquisition that we made, our first large acquisition. And then in January, we acquired a company called Gap Promotions. Um, we're a Facilis member They're a Facilis member, which was great. Um, and we were introduced to them through Facilis. We've known each other. Their- did
0: you, Facilis had a new, I'm sorry to interrupt you. They had a new program, I think, that they debuted, debuted that was actually looking to, to help with with those kind of connections. Did you guys like leverage that? Did you work through that?
1: Before that, we did not, uh, th- this acquisition wasn't part of that, but we're uh, in constant communication with them about identifying people who maybe want an exit, people who want to, you know, join our team that want to accelerate their growth as well, that maybe have something unique. So we're, we're definitely taking advantage of that because I do, I do find Facilis a very um, valuable community. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't originally sign up for the community when we were being pitched by Facilis. They said, oh, the community. And he said, I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we, and, and, and what's even greater about it is I feel that way about Facilis. And again, we joined in February, 2020, right before the pandemic. So we never really experienced the true community like Facilis and we still feel that way. So I, that's been a nice, a nice surprise from Facilis since we joined that. But um, in any case, GAP is, was, was a business started um, by a woman, Gail Pirano. She's, she's great. She's uh, part of the acquisition she's continues to work for strong um i've been meeting with her later today she's great but uh, a lot of what they concentrate on is the beverage space yeah have, uh some some different beverage offerings so they huge, have a lot a
0: huge huge names like the biggest so that's like some of the biggest names in adult beverage industry for yeah sure.
1: yeah exactly molson cores is a big one of theirs and and a lot of other alcoholic brands and they spend a lot of that i mean what some of those i laughed during uh covid some of that were like yeah we you know, booze, gambling and and uh and lawyers you know, it didn't go away.
0: <laughs> it's not a bad niche to be in during tough times.
1: Right. So a lot of that a lot of that business came our way. Uh but uh so we we were introduced to to Gale through Facilis, um and, and really brought them on. They again we they had um 13 employees that we brought on, great employees, they're a young group um that has a ton of potential, like amazing amounts of potential. So we looked at that acquisition saying, boy, Gail's done a really good job of establishing a fantastic um, foundation with really good customers. Um, but she was limited, again, to what she could do. She wanted to put more money into the business, but she would have to you know, use her own money. So she really came to us and said, I want to continue to grow this. And we're helping her do that by putting more resources on the accounts that she has, more creative, more technology. Um, you know, and that is a big area of, of what we're doing is, is the technology investment to make it easier for customers to do business with us. And, you know, she looked at that and said, this is a really good strategy for, for both Stron and Gap and all the employees. So, um, you know, that's been a really successful. We closed that uh, January 31st. So, you know, they've been with us a few months and, and it's going really well. So
0: Awesome. So as, as, you've, as you're acquiring, as you're going, as you've gone public, um, all these different things are happening. You've also brought on some some pretty you know, for the promotional products industry, some high profile executives. Can you can you tell us who you've brought aboard and kind of what their roles have been and and, and how they're kind of helping you build the next the next phase of Strong?
1: Yeah. So what got us to you know $45 million or $50 million really isn't going to get us to the next step. So we recognize that and that's why we went and raised capital. Mm-hmm. And in in addition to that, the current infrastructure that we had leading up to that isn't going to support the growth that we needed. So the first thing we needed to do is build out our infrastructure. So, um, you know, I, we, I, I approached Steve Paradiso first um, from an operational standpoint and, and he had retired. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Steve Paradiso, but he actually was the president of Cirque, which got to be, you know, was a publicly held company, got mm-hmm. up to a billion, almost a billion dollars in revenue. Um, his claim to fame is he said he, he uh, he had to ask uh, OJ Simpson to retire from the board of Cirque <laughs> because because of, <laughs> some bad things that were happening with him. <laughs> New comment. <laughs> um, but no, we brought him in and, and I started talking with him and, and he was in retirement and said, no, nah, I don't really, you know, I'm not interested in coming back. And I told him what we were doing and he said, boy, that's really a great story. I, I, I want in and, and you know what, what he, he's now our chief of staff and really what he's helping me with is getting the right people in place, holding people accountable, establish our infrastructure to handle the growth, and to really attract the right people to really help our growth and help our people when they're here working to say, you know, we're, we're looking towards, you know, building something that's, that's strong, that's really a true leader. How do we do that? Who, how do we put it in place? How do we make sure that everybody's happy at work mm-hmm. and not, you know, ha- feeling all that pressure as well. You know, that pressure, I may have a lot of the pressure, but we don't want to try to put too much of that on our employees. Mm-hmm. So, he, so first hire was him as our chief of staff. And he's been amazing at, at really setting up a corporate rhythm getting our management in place, really getting, um, you know, all of our ducks in a row to hold everybody accountable to specific tasks. So before when we were smaller, I mean, I started this business. So I've done everything from, you know, teach myself how to use Illustrator and Photoshop to, <sighs> to looking at, you know, cr- how do I create an online store using, you know, different bright stores, Core Expand, uh, you know, uh, Magento, Shopify, like there's a million, you know, doing all that to accounting, to billing, to using, you know, I've, every ASI product I've, I think I've used. You though. take the trash
0: out too, right? So. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I've known all that. But on the other hand, now that we're growing, like we need to put people, compartmentalize people mm-hmm. and say, you know, here's what we're really holding you accountable to is to drive this. And, it, and it's been, he's been really good at helping us establish that, to hold people accountable to, this is what we need you to do. And and if you're doing other things, we'll hire other people to do that. And it's given us, and going public and raising capital is, given us the ability to do that. So Steve was the first hire. And I'll
0: just add real quick. Steve, of course, was um long time on uh, counselor ASI media's uh, power 50 is one of the most influential people in the promotional products industry for roles, that, roles that he's had. So he's yeah a big name guy to bring on.
1: Yeah. And he also was at touchstone and he, he promos and, and really helped them grow to be a top 40, you know, both were doing, I think in the $75 million range. So he helped establish that. And now he's really helping us to, you know, to try to continue to, to grow ourselves. And he's done a really good job and, and he's, he's been super helpful to, to Stron and myself and, and the entire organization. And, and as a result of Steve, um, you know, we, I, I originally was talking to Steve from an operational standpoint, but he came in as chief of staff and he had referred me to Sheila Johnshoy, who recently started um, about two months ago from an operational standpoint. And she's amazing. She is uh, she came from, um, Swag Up, and before that, was at E Promos and and Harlan Clark. So she's been in the industry for quite a while, but super sharp person who's who's um, you know has a really good operational mind. Is getting a grasp on on all of our programs right now. We have I think over 350 online stores that we have, um, and she's helping to wrangle them to make sure that we're billing them properly, that all the the, the operations that orders come through, that our staff is is staffed properly. So. She's really good, and and I'm really excited about her. And in addition to that, we hired a new CTO, Jason Nolly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, uh, he was with Wildman uh, Wildman Business Groups, uh, so that's how I originally met him. He ended up getting another job, and and after he got that job, he we went and kind of recruited him and said we were really impressed with him during the Wildman phase, and said, boy, what do I need to do to get you over here? Because he's super smart uh from a technology standpoint uh you know is implementing some new really interesting and cool platforms and 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 systems that that really make us more efficient and you know that's a big part of the future and, you know i know we want to talk a little bit more about the technology but mm-hmm. he's really a, an integral part of that and then and then to round it out um you know our cfo chris rollins who we promoted to cfo he was our vp of sales for about six years and we promoted him to cfo and he's really stepped up to the challenge you know, now he knows more about SEC regulations than anyone would ever want to know. Oh,
0: God. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, with his his it, so he's been
1: great. And then our VP of sales, Steve Ury, um, is another leader that we have that um, we put into place that that's helping manage our sales team, um, you know, with, with the help of our executive vice president, Randy Burney. So we've put a lot of people in place and, uh, you know, we're continuing to put people in place. But those are the, the main leaders that we've put out there. All right, interesting. So you
0: have so you have this good you have a good core team that you had there. You've you've expanded leadership to kind of help take things forward. Um, so what I guess the question becomes: What are you going forward into? The you know how is the industry going to change over these next few years? You know what do distributors need to do to compete in what seems to be a pretty quickly changing landscape, if you
1: will? Yeah. So there's a few things. And when we talk about technology, people always say, "Oh, well, technology. What do you mean? Like, what do you what are you doing for technology?" And there's a couple of different Things that we need to look at from a technology that we're really investing in is the first the technology is is, you know, uh, lead generation and, and, and really getting more eyeballs on strong using technology for our advantage to our advantage for that. So getting more people interested in, in Stron, showing what we can do. But that's really only the first step. The next step is once we have customers, you know, we're not looking for a one time order where someone comes in and says, I need to order a thousand pens. I'm going to go online and do that. That's not our direct to consumer. Model is that's not our real model. Our okay. real model is more finding customers and, and, and large clients that say we want to use this form of advertising as a, a and marketing as an effective medium mm-hmm. and, and put it into their advertising budget because it is highly effective. And I think that's one of the trends that I think that when we get in with our customers, they really start to recognize as wow, this is really impactful. This is really effective. When we do it properly, if we buy a bunch of stuff and stick it in our closet or in the trucks of people or don't give it out with any type of rhyme or reason, it may not be as effective. Yet, if we have a plan, we help them establish a plan on how to use this form of advertising. It's very effective. It's one of the only forms of advertising that doesn't take away people's time. Mm-hmm. You, know, you go to watch a, a video on YouTube, they take away your time. Television ads, they take away your time. When you're reading a magazine, there's an insert, you rip it out. It's all taking away from you versus in our industry, when someone gives you something as a gift. As an incentive or something, you know, it, it creates that favorable impression of that brand because they're actually going out of the way; they're giving you something that's branded, that's meaningful, that means that. So I think that the more that we can get in front of those those um, those advertisers to say this is an effective form of advertising, and give them the technology tools to then give access to those products to their field or whoever's using it, or their consumers or whoever is give access to that, as well as give them visibility into. You know, are we getting an ROI on that? We spent a million dollars on this program. Who did it go to and 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 what does that look like and was that effective? And when we can show that to our customers, they say, boy, this is a lot more effective than, you know, some of the digital advertising that's, you know, yeah. seemed real sexy and, and hot at the time. But so let me just let it. me
0: stop you there because that's such I think that's such a good and important point is that what you're really talking about is. Is is having ways to to, to capture RO is using technology in a way that allows you to capture demonstrable, if you will, um, ROI to clients. It's it instead of it's just like, hey, I sold you t-shirts, my job's done. You know, it's like, hey, I created this campaign. Here's like stats and data on how that worked, and here's how we collected that. Like you're talking you're talking about stuff like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, integrating it in with their whether that's their their CRM, their ERP, so they can say. Send- Say, well, all right, let's look at these different, like if it's a sales initiative that they're doing, they say let, let, let's look at these different salespeople. This salesperson uh, sent out this amount of merchandise to people and look at their numbers. This person di- didn't. There's a correlation between the two. Now let's try to turn that, let's try to prove that out that that's a cause effect rather than just a correlation. So then they say, you know, let's let's do that a little bit more and say, we found we have found that When you do this, it does make a difference, like from some sales initiatives. So, using that technology again, not just to say, "Oh, I'll use the technology to search products or to, you know, get you interested in doing business with us." It's really to show we'll help you accomplish your marketing goals through our technology offerings. Mm -hmm. So that's really what we're investing is try to be unique and different, so that um, when these people are when when our customers are looking and saying, "I want to." Do something i want to create loyalty brand awareness i want to create employee engagement i want to create an incentive program whatever it may be that they're trying to do is give them the ability to do that through products and products are so valuable and important and they can't be digitized like you Mm -hmm. know sending an email isn't as effective as handing somebody something so we're really working on that technology to to go and 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 have that complement the products not to replace the products but complement the products so that it's more effective marketing use rather than just selling products and saying, hey, you ordered uh, $10,000 worth of baseball hats. I dropped them on your doorstep. Good luck. We want to create, you know, let us do more than just do the hats. We'll get a really cool hat for you. We'll do some great decoration. Maybe we'll import it. Maybe we'll do it direct or maybe we'll do it domestically. You know, we'll do some creative ways. Maybe we'll do uh, insert a, a hang tag, whatever it may be. And then let us combine that with some printed collateral or kit it with a box and mm-hmm. send it out and make a difference so that's really what we're trying to do and, and doing a lot of that through technology
0: yeah and I, I think some i think that one of those last points you made there is good because sometimes people here in our industry technology and if you've been in the industry a while there's almost a sense of like, oh, are they talking about de- depersonalizing the process? And no, that, that's not what it's about. It's still very important to have that sales consultant there helping to craft the campaign. It's just now I'm giving you data points to support things that I'm suggesting to you or to demonstrate to you how campaigns have worked and, and giving you, you know, actual statistical insights that, that can help us craft the next one together. So the technology is not displacing a salesperson per se. It's it's, 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 it's um, a, a tool, an important tool that that salesperson can use to be a better consultant.
1: Ab- absolutely. And, and then, you know, I said there's three parts. One is getting more interest in strong Two is providing a platform and different technology services to our customers. And then the third one is creating efficiencies internally at our company. So a lot of, you know, I always say imagine if Amazon followed the the traditional ASI method, mm-hmm. you know, where someone would place an order and they would have to go find, you know, you go and order a, a, you know, shampoo and they'd have to go source it, cut a P.O. to the vendor, bill them and do all that. They wouldn't be able to exist if they had to do that manual process. So really on the back end, what we're trying to do is make it easier for our automation to go through so that people aren't spending as much time on our back end as they are manually processing orders so you know it's really combining all that together and trying to create a, a more efficient working process as well as giving valuable tools out to our customers that that makes it more efficient so we can spend more time and more of our valuable resources i mean listen the biggest res- the biggest cost for almost every asi distributor is, is human capital mm-hmm. you know the people that that work for us you know everyone says oh we love our people and that's what's important i mean if you look at anybody's pnl that that you're that in our industry, that's gonna almost always unless there may be a, a different model, that's almost always gonna be their largest expense. So we wanna make sure that we're getting the most efficiencies out of them um, and give them the tools to succeed. So that's really what, you know, the third part of the technology.
0: All right, interesting since we're on the, we're on the subject of technology we did have a question come in it's a, it's a little out of left field but it's it's kind of interesting to see if we could answer it so um uh the the questioner asked you know how do you, how do you what do you think about accepting uh, crypto as payment for promotional products um as the crypto industry is growing massively and they need swag too so any thoughts on that i mean no right or wrong answers. just what what's your take
1: yeah no i i uh i would i would welcome it i mean it's one of the things one of the the issues that we may have is from a compliance standpoint for being a publicly held company. That's the only issue that we have. Um, and, and I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I, I was, I've been involved in, in, uh, blockchain companies in the past and, and crypto. So it's not, it's not anything new to me, but, um, you know, for us, we don't want to, again, we don't want to come out with a press release that says, Hey, we're, we're accepting crypto as a, as a payment just to try to make noise. I mean, yeah. you know, we'd accept it, but, um, you know, and, and if a, somebody says, hey, we want to pay you with crypto, you know, we, we would, you know, explore that and, and accept it, but uh, or maybe not accept it, but explore that and, and try to do everything that we can. It's not a, a huge initiative for us right now, but, um, you know, that is something that we're looking at right now is the future of what is the meta, you know, yeah. Facebook, Facebook, you know, changed their name to meta, the metaverse, you know, uh, companies are investing billions of dollars into the metaverse, you know we are exploring that we're looking into it. We're not ready to launch anything um, or, or, or really announce anything, but we are exploring that and looking at ways to, you know, make sure that we're leading in that area. And that's one of the things, uh, as I mentioned with Jason Nolly that he's, he's highly interested in and in, in, in exploring right now. We just don't have anything publicly official that we can launch. with. That. Yeah,
0: that, that's interesting. And I, I do, I do think more uh, larger, Forward-looking company distributors, I should say, in our industry are some are already getting into it to some degree, and it's it seems like a new adjacent channel that a lot will look to start operating.
1: It is so that's in the back, so that's in the background for us. So where we look at this is we say this is a twenty-three billion dollar industry. It's crazy like that. This is twenty-three billion Mm dollars. The largest market share is three point three percent. It's the largest market share. There's a tremendous opportunity within this industry itself. Of what we're currently doing that doesn't mean that we're not looking at that but we want to first tackle the low-hanging fruit of saying this mm-hmm. industry is is really um has a lot a ton of opportunity and we want to capitalize on that first mm-hmm. uh, while also having that uh, as a side project but we don't want to come out and say this is our new strategy when there's tremendous opportunity with what's right in front
0: that's, of that's a great point with them with the market that fragmented as, as you kind of put there there's a there's a lot you could do just in your core business model to to, to to make a lot of more a lot more revenue.
1: Yeah, um, again, it's not like we're not looking at it. It's just one of those that it's not a it's not a core tenant of ours, like, hey, this is you know what we want to do. It's mm-hmm. saying we have to be prepared to do that. We're doing the research, we're doing the the investigation, we're making the investments into that, but nothing that's publicly um that that you know we're sharing publicly with anybody.
0: All right. I had another question come in. It's kind of an interesting one. Um Uh, put you in the driver's seat a bit. Uh, This is from a supplier and says, what's what's the best thing a supplier can offer or do to help you and your team um, sell more effectively? It's a great question.
1: Sure. So I think uh, the suppliers really need to continue to communicate. And that's the biggest thing. Like um, right now with the supply chain being where it is, I mean, I think one of the stats that we came up with is what used to take us one touch now takes us seven touches. So, you know, we we need to, because before, like if somebody called... (laughs) Three years ago, and said, "Hey, I need that. I need something for an event in in three days from now. Can you get it for me?" We'd say, "Yeah," and then we'd go make it happen. That doesn't really exist anymore. We'd say, "Yeah, we'll do everything we can to make it happen, but we may not be able to get you exactly what you want. We may need to shift their gears a little bit." So that communication from a supplier base is really, again, the one that I think that I think we need the most is is giving alternatives when they're out of stock when they can't deliver something, rather than just come in and saying, hey, I have bad news for you, I can't do this for you. Hey, I've got bad news for you. Don't wait. Come back to us, tell us the bad news. I have bad news for you. But come back to us with some alternative solutions rather than just saying, sorry, you're out of luck. Come back and saying, hey, I, I really apologize. I know your client's not going to be happy. I know you're not happy, but we don't have the you know, AS5437 in purple, but we have it in blue. Would they be okay with accepting that? Or we don't have that item, but we have this item that's very similar that maybe costs a little bit more, and also being reasonable with that and saying, "All right, you know, maybe we won't, maybe we'll, we'll work with you on the pricing on that because it costs more. Maybe we'll give you a discount to make it a little bit more, um, you know, palatable." Your
0: trouble, so to speak.
1: <laughs> yeah. So let's work together. And you know, we look at our our we look at the supplier bases as, as a partnership. I mean, we really do. We rely on them. Um, This is one of the few industries that still has that supplier and distributor aspect and Mm -hmm. we rely on one another. So, you know, we respect and and really want to continue to promote our suppliers, especially the ones that look out for us and and are doing, you know, trying to help us succeed. So, you know, communicate with us and, and really give us alternatives if something goes wrong.
0: And I'll just I'll just quickly add any any, you know, executive frontline salesperson on the distributor side that I've talked to over through like the last two years and especially the last year over with all the supply chain craziness um, have said almost verbatim, you know, what, what you said, like, just communicate clear and quickly what the status is. If it's, if it's, you know, if there's an issue, that's okay. Let us know right away. And then give us some ideas about how, about how we could actually still come up with some kind of solution. And if you do that, I think it just creates a lot of goodwill, if nothing else, you know?
1: Yeah. It shows that you care too, you know? And I think that everybody wants that. And And we were talking about getting rid of that human touch. Like we're not trying to do that. We want to, you know, get rid of, unnecessary human interaction that that is is just Mm minutiae but we want to still have that personal touch where we understand the brands that we're working with we understand their goals you know and they know that we care like if they have something that they're you know i've been to trade shows and been standing there with no backdrop and no booth and no giveaways Mm -hmm. and you're boy i feel stupid Mm -hmm. we don't want anybody to feel that way (laughs) you (laughs) know we don't want that we want to say hey you show up at a at an event which are coming back which is fantastic to see Um, You know, we want to say we know that we care. So we want our customers to feel that way. And I think that the suppliers can do that, too. If they feel like, hey, we don't want to let you down because we don't want to let your customers down. It goes a long way.
0: Got it. All right. We have one more question come in and then I'll give you one final one. We're kind of pushing up toward the end of our time here. Um, interested. What, what, the question is, do you know, do you see China import becoming less attractive long term and, and made in the USA kind of being on the rise? I have some opinions on this. I'm curious what your take is as a distributor. Like, are you here? Like, do, do your customers want more made in the USA or is it still more price driven? Like, what do you what are you
1: hearing? I mean, we did that project for the U.S. Census two years ago that was all made in the U.S.A. It was about $20 million worth of merchandise that had to be 100% made in the U.S.A. and we had to be audited to make sure that it was completely made in the U.S.A. And it was a struggle because some of the items we couldn't find. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, we want to do a silicone phone wallet. Mm-hmm. Maybe it exists in the U.S.A., but we certainly couldn't find it mm-hmm. made in the U.S.A. So there are certain things that we just can't do. So, yes, I do think, you know, more people will, will turn to U.S.A. But on the other hand, you know, may usa factories are are struggling as well um, because of people not coming to work and and Mm -hmm. just harder to find minimum wages going up in in a lot of the the manufacturing areas um and and people are you know that's a struggle as well so I, i do think the reliance on china may go down i think importing will still always be um very important to our industry but, um, you know, I think it's a balance. And really what we want to do is bookend that production is take advantage of that when we can, but not rely on it. And that's really what we try to do is say, if we can take advantage of cost savings, if we can take advantage of customization because we have the time, or we have the, the forethought for it, let's do that, but let's not rely on that. Let's have alternative solutions domestically that help us accomplish those goals. So if we, that's what we really try to balance.
0: Yeah, and I, I, would, just, I would just chime in quickly to say I, I don't think that, as you mentioned international supply chains are going to be displaced by a domestic model anytime soon there's a lot of reasons for that what, what price is is at foremost but also just infrastructure and labor levels needed to to really support our industry on mass it it's 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 just not realistic that that usa production is going to displace stuff from overseas anytime soon so um i agree with you there andy uh, so one last question hopefully a good end on a positive note here um, just from what you're experiencing at Strong and maybe what you're hearing about from uh, c- colleagues in the industry who are distributors, do you get a sense that this year is going gonna, is gonna, to, industry-wide now, not just Strong, is going to yeah. be an improvement over last year's sales? We had a nice bounce back after a very difficult 2020. Do you see us growing as an industry again this year? And if so, what would you maybe put the ballpark range in?
1: I do. I'm not sure if we'll get back. I, I don't think i do think it will grow but i don't think it's going to get back up to you know 27 28 million mm-hmm. you know that last year was what 23 million the year before yeah. 25 or twenty yes. billion. sorry um i do think that the beginning or I, I think we'll see it but i don't think it's going to come as quickly so i think you know my prediction is we'll see a little bit of growth 20 back to you know around mm-hmm. the 25 billion dollar range mm-hmm. and the reason why i think that is i think that a lot of advertisers started to recognize. They, they still had the budgets like a lot of companies actually did very well during the pandemic and they still had their advertising budgets and they were rather than using them for event that some of that budget for events and, and different things for in-person meetings, they did things like kidding, sending things to homes, you know, doing things that were a little bit different and they found that, wow, that's really effective. So I don't think that's going to go away. So some of that spend went over to there and I don't think that's going to go away. I think that's going to continue to increase, but with the uh, addition of now having in-person events Having trade shows, having people go on sales calls and going on meetings. I think together combined is going to even grow our business even more. So I, you know, 22. 22- 2022, I think we'll see an increase, but I think 2023, we'll see an even greater increase.
0: An even greater one. Okay. Yeah. I, I I tend to agree with you. I do think we're going to be up again this year. I mean, of course, barring anything unforeseen, and we know we've we had some unforeseen things over the last few years for sure. But you know, I I do think the trend is up even, even with some of the economic headwinds that have been blowing because of global events and supply chain. I still think there's a huge and growing demand. And I think the, re- the return of something approximating what we'd call normal life you know, pre-COVID is is going to be nothing but good for our industry. So I I, I do think we're going to be um, up as well, and and hopefully in that twenty-five billion dollar range again. Um, so Andy, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. It's been you you've been so candid. I really appreciate the the insights, and it's it's been exciting to hear about where Stron is and where it's going. Just any kind of final thoughts for our audience?
1: No, I mean I think you know Stron's in a very unique position right now, and we're looking to to acquire other companies. So if anyone's thinking you know, I'm ready to formulate an exit or I want to be part of something that's growing, that that really is unique. I'd welcome the opportunity to talk to us. We're building out our infrastructure. We really want to build something truly unique in this industry. And, and we're looking for those people. So anyone who, who is interested, you know, reach out to me, reach out to anybody on our team that, you know, and we would love to hear from you because, you know, again, I think stron will be, you know, top 20. Distributor. Before you know it, uh, much much quicker than I think most people would expect or even recognize. So, you know, we're we're looking for people to to join us on that, and uh, we got a great group of people already, and we want to add additional people for that. So, um, you know, I'm excited for the future of this industry. I love this industry. I love I love what we do. Um, you know, I love what I do as as a business as as what we do for a business, and, and looking forward to what's going to happen in the future.
0: All right, some bold predictions there, and it's going to be interesting to watch this story continue to unfold. Um, Andy, thank you so much for being with us today. That's Andy Shape, CEO of Strawn & Company. Keep an eye on them. They're on the rise.
1: All right, thanks, Chris.